Dear Lord, thank you for letting us gather here today uh, to hear your message. Um, help us to feel you, your presence here. Um, help us to open our ears and our hearts and our minds to truly receive uh, your words through Alan today. Amen. Thanks, Nick. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? It's good to see you. My name's Alan. I'm one of the uh, pastors here at Grace Hill. So if you are new here, I'd love to meet you afterwards. And for those of you who are coming to the table, which is a lunch that we do every once in a while for folks who are newer to the church and want to get plugged in, I'm really excited to get lunch with you today. We'll be announcing the dates of our next table session very soon. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, you can sign up once we get, get those dates out, but it's good to see you. And Nick, thanks for doing announcements. You know, um, you know, a Hernan Festival is such an amazing way we can serve this community, be in the community. Uh, I love Nick's testimony there. And so I just want to say, like, this needs to be kind of an all-hands-on-deck type of thing that we do as a church. So if you are free that weekend, if you can spare a few hours, um, to help serve at the Bike Valet and in other ways at Hernan Festival, that would be huge. Such a great way that we can reach our community around us. And it's a lot of fun. Good music, good food, you know, all of those things. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Ezekiel. Book of Ezekiel, kind of in the latter half of your Old Testament. All right, so we'll, we'll read that in a few minutes. You have some time to find it. We're going to be in chapter 36 uh, together. And uh, we're a lot of Bible today. Now, normally sermons have a lot of Bible in them, so that's a very good thing. But we're going to be jumping around a lot, a lot of different places that we're going to be reading. I warned the, uh, Joey over there on ProPresenter that he has a lot of slides to click through today. And so I just want to draw your attention to the reflection questions that we give you in the bulletin. Um, this has a list of really all the texts that we're going to be jumping around to, actually even more than where we'll be going today. So if you're having a hard time keeping track, you can just uh, refer to that later. But maybe be ready with your Bible, ready to go and, and flip around with me. I'm curious if you can remember, uh, maybe as a child, an epic fight you had with your parents ever. Or if you're a parent... Um, maybe you have some older children, and you can remember an epic fight that you had uh, with one of your children. I'm trying to see if one of my parents are here. I don't think they're here today. They're not here today. Fantastic. My mom's a Sunday school, and my dad's over at Trace Diaz. Perfect. All right, good. So I remember an, at like one of the—this is too high for me. I remember one of the most epic fights I had with— with one of my, or both of my parents. Um, it was when I was in college. See, I met my wife, Kim, when I was in seventh grade, and we started to date when we were sophomores in high school, and we went to two different high schools, but we went to the same college. And sophomore year of college, uh, Kim decided to go uh, study abroad in Athens, Greece. So she was going to be gone for three months, and I was back uh, at the school. And so, of course, you know, we've been dating for a few years then, uh, very much, you know, both of us thought we would one day get married. And so I very much thought to myself, yeah, at some point during that three-month stint, I'm jumping on a plane and, and going to Athens, and I'm going to visit her there, and we're going to spend some time in, in Athens, Greece. And so I was making a plan 
to do this, and my parents found out that I was going to do that, and they said no. And we launched into one of the most epic fights that I can ever remember having with my parents, because this was just unjust, that they would make such a decision and not let me go and visit my girlfriend in Europe, another country halfway across the world. I thought this was such a great idea. They thought it was, quote, unwise. And so we got into this epic fight. Now, the funny thing about this fight is most of this was on AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> if you can remember that, if you ever had that. Anyone date anyone over AOL Instant Messenger? One? All right. Anyway, uh, so we were just in this huge fight. And here's the thing from my parents' perspective, right? My, my parents' perspective is, Alan, we love you. We're committed to you. We, we, we don't want to rob you of your joy, but no, you're, you're not doing this, right? This is not what's best for you. It's not what's good for you. And, and I can attest now that it's many, many, many years uh, later, uh, looking back on that, where I, I look on that and I go, yeah, nothing good was going to happen in Athens, Greece, right, if I went to go visit my girlfriend there. And so it was very wise that my parents in that moment stepped in and did something that I did not like, that made me so angry, that made me feel like they were totally against me, and yet the entire time they were for me. And if you are a parent, you can imagine the grief that one feels when you have a child and you want so much, you want the best for them. And that does mean that every once in a while you have to make decisions that they don't like and you have to discipline and you, and you have to challenge and exhort and do things that make them feel like it's not what's best for them. But you can imagine the grief you feel when your child doesn't follow your leadership or when your child does things opposite than what you know is best for them. And here's my hope for this morning as we, as we dive into the text and what we're going to be talking about this morning. My hope is that you walk out of here encouraged. Encouraged that God, your Father, is committed to you. He loves you. He's never going to forsake you. And everything he does is for your good and for your joy. And at the same time, I hope that you're challenged. Because that means that sometimes God is going to do things to grow us, to challenge us, to exhort us, and it's not going to feel good, right? Because he's a good father who's leading us. And so I hope we walk out with, with both of those feelings inside of us. We've been in a sermon series called Formed, and this is a uh, week nine of ten, so uh, in two Sundays we'll finish up this a sermon series. Next Sunday is going to be Baptism Sunday. We're going to celebrate baptisms together. Um, but in this particular sermon series, we've been asking the question, what does it mean to live the Christian life? What does it mean that God is forming in us Christ-like character? What does it look like to live with Christ-like character? And we started this series all the way back in Jeremiah chapter 18. In Jeremiah 18, um, you know, Jeremiah is a prophet of the Lord. He's called to bring God's people the word of God. And so God comes to Jeremiah and says, hey, I have a word for you. What I want you to do is I want you to go down to the potter's house. So this place where this guy was making pottery on a wheel with clay. And so Jeremiah goes to the potter's house and there's this person working 
a vessel on the wheel as the clay was turning. And it says that the vessel was spoiled, meaning that it, maybe as he was working it, as he was trying to form the shape, it just collapsed, right? It, it, it spoiled in his hands. It, it's no good anymore. And so what the person does is he grabs a clump of clay and he reforms it into another ball, smooths everything out, back on the wheel, and he forms it into something that is new. And God says to Jeremiah, can I not do with you Cannot not do with my people what this potter has done to the clay. Take in something that is spoiled and form it into something new. And that is exactly what God is doing in us as his children. If you are in Christ, God is at work inside of you forming something new. And that's what this entire series is about. And so what I want to encourage you with this morning, specifically with where we're going, is this. That if you're in Christ, if you trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, if you trust Jesus and you follow him, if you're in Christ, that growing in Christ-like character is guaranteed. That he will grow you into the image of Christ. It's promised. Now, that does mean that sometimes he'll discipline and sometimes he'll exhort and challenge and he will cause us to to do things that we don't want to do, but it's because he knows what is best. I want to show you this guarantee in the text today. Like I said, we've got a lot of places that we're going, so we're just going to have to move through it. So go to Ezekiel. We're going to be in chapter 36 This morning, and I want to show you what God says to the prophet Ezekiel. Just like Jeremiah, Ezekiel is a prophet. They were around at about the same time, all right? And he is charged with taking the word of God to God's people. Now, the book of Ezekiel kind of hinges around 586 B.C. In 586 B.C., the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. And so part of Ezekiel's book kind of predates that. He's warning God's people of what's about to happen in the middle of the book, right? That happens. And after the book, uh, or sorry, towards the latter ends of the book, it's looking back on what happened and trying to explain to God's people, here's what God is doing. Here's why God allowed the Babylonians to come in and destroy the temple. And the reason why God allowed the Babylonians to do that is because God's people had forsaken God. They had walked away from his ways. They had forgotten his word. They didn't worship him as God anymore. And so God sent them into exile. And so in Ezekiel 36, we get this beautiful passage where God tells his people, here's what I'm going to do next. So you have forsaken me. You've forgotten my word. You're not following me. I allowed this enemy nation to come in and take you away into exile Now, here's my next move. This is what God says to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read verses 22 to 28. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord of God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, in which you have profaned among them. 
and the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Now, pause for just a second. So God starts with that, right? Here's what I'm about to do. I'm gonna vindicate my holiness through you. You have profaned my name among the nations. After I'm through with you, the nations will know that I'm a God. So if you're kind of sitting there trembling like, well, what's God gonna do next? Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness, and from all of your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit within you. Look at this and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That's not what the people of God were expecting to hear. God essentially says, Here's how I'm going to show the nations that I am the only and holy God. He says, I'm going to grab my people and I am going to redeem them. I'm going to make them into something new. I'm going to take out their heart of stone that didn't care about me, that didn't see me as God or didn't see me as good. And I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit inside of them, my Holy Spirit. I'm going to allow to dwell in them. And that Holy Spirit is going to form them into something new. Grow them in Christ-like character. Literally, the text says, cause them to walk in my ways. We get a similar promise in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. God says to Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. God is saying, instead of giving them a law and saying, see if you can follow it, God is saying, no, not gonna do that anymore. I'm gonna write it on their hearts. Literally put my spirit within them and I'm gonna grow them in my ways. Form Christ-like character inside of them through his spirit. This is the, the promise that God gives us if we trust in Christ. That if we trust in what Christ has done for the forgiveness of our sins, not only are we washed clean of our sins, so we don't stand before God as sinful anymore. We stand clean, but he's also gonna put his spirit in us and he's gonna begin a new work. And this is not a work that is instantaneous. It's a slow work, a progressive work. Little by little, he's going to form us into something new. And so this morning, what I want to ask is, what is the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our life? Because we just read in Ezekiel 36, God's promise that I'm going to put my spirit in you, and he's going to cause you to walk in my ways. What does that even mean? That's what I want to talk about this morning. 
So I have three truths about the Holy Spirit's role in our life from the scripture this morning. Three truths that we're going to work through together. So here's truth number one about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Truth number one is this. The Spirit is doing something. The Spirit is doing something. I think oftentimes, if you've grown up in church, um, we think of the Holy Spirit as something we need to unlock or maybe something we need to activate or, or maybe it's this gift that God has given us, but it's kind of weird. Like, what do you mean God's Spirit is in me? I don't even understand what that means. And so maybe if I pray in the right way with enough fervor or maybe if I have enough faith or this or that, I, I kind of can activate him in my life. And so we kind of think of this spirit as like this dormant thing. And then we somehow figure out how to activate it and spiritual things occur. That's, that's not how the scripture talks about the Holy Spirit at all. The spirit is spoken of in scripture as a person. Like a member of the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit, as a person who is with you, is going to do God's will, whether you like it or not. Like he's his own man, you know, own person. You, I should say person, right? He's going to do what he's going to do. He's going to work in our lives according to God's will, whether we resist him, whether we try to run away from him, or not. So we don't activate him. He is his own person and he is present and he is active. So the scripture says that if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you at all times. That he doesn't leave you. You don't have to pray, Holy Spirit, be with me. Now, if your soul is longing for the felt presence of the Holy Spirit, then of course you can pray that. I'm not saying it's bad to pray. I'm just saying he is always with us. He's present. He's active. And he is doing something. So the question is, will we respond to what he's doing? Will we be open to the things that he is doing? So quickly, two things the Spirit does for us, kind of at a high level, and then we'll get more down on the ground. The first thing the Spirit does for us is he seals us. Seals us. So look at this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So when you trusted in Christ, uh, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so what we see here is that one of the roles that the Holy Spirit does is he marks us. So he, he indwells us and he seals us. He marks us as we belong to God. We are a child of God. We have been promised eternal life with him for all of eternity. That's never going to be taken away from us. It's, it's a deposit that we have received until we get the full inheritance, which is God's kingdom for all of eternity. So the first thing the Spirit does is seals us, but the second thing he does, as we've been seeing, is he reforms us, right? We saw that in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will put my Spirit in you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways and to follow my statutes. The Spirit reforms us. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. 
And so the Holy Spirit's job is he seals us, and then he begins the work of reforming us, of writing the law on our hearts, of helping us live according to God's ways and seeing God's ways as good. So what I want you to see, the first truth is that he is doing this. This is a work that the Holy Spirit is doing. The question is, will we follow his leadership? Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 says, Let us keep in step with the Spirit, which literally means let us follow him. As he steps, we step. Let's follow his leadership. He is doing something. Will we follow his leadership? It's kind of like this. I'm going to show you a quick video behind me. All right, it's just a little gif. It's kind of funny. All right, do you all see that? Okay, have you all seen this before? So, poor man, I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of him at all, but... See, the Spirit is taking us somewhere. The Spirit is going to grow Christ-like character in us if we trust in Christ. If God has given you the gift of the Spirit, then he's going to grow. The question is, are we going to keep in step with him? The question is, are we going to resist? Are we going to fight? Or are we going to trust where the Spirit is taking us? But he'll ultimately take us where we need to go. But will we keep in step with him? So let's get more specific. Let's get on the ground level. Here's truth number two. Truth number two is this. The Spirit, here's what he's doing. Here's the specifics. The Spirit is building our confidence in God and dismantling our ego. Truth number two. The Spirit, here's what he's doing in us. He's building our trust, our faith, our confidence in God, and he's dismantling our ego. If we go back to our text, Ezekiel 36, and we just read through it. I'm going to read through most of this again. And I want you to pay attention to the pronouns. And I want you to pay attention to who is the active agent in the text. Okay? Like, who's the one that's doing something? Look at this again. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake... O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. See, what God is saying is, hey, I'm the one that's doing this work. I'm the one that's going to cause you to walk in my ways. I'm the one that's gonna lead you in that direction. I'm the one that's gonna redeem you and make you clean. The question is, will you trust me? Do you have confidence in the work 
that I am going to do. See, the Spirit is building our confidence in this and dismantling our ego that says, no, I need to be the one that figures it out. I need to be the one that figures out what is right or wrong. I need to be the one that figures out what is true or false or good or beautiful. He's dismantling the ego. See, if you look in Scripture, especially the New Testament, but we'll go to the Old too a little bit, most of the commands we get in Scripture about the Spirit are actual commands to not resist him. Like, we don't get a lot of commands of, like, you know, we get some that say walk by the Spirit, but we don't get a lot of commands about how we kind of engage with the Spirit, but we get a lot of commands about don't resist him, don't quench the Spirit, don't grieve the Spirit. We get a lot of commands of, like, hey, the Spirit is doing something, don't get in his way, right? Follow him, but don't stand in his way. I'm going to give you some examples here. This, and this will help us to see specifically what the Spirit is doing. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 to 21. Popular set of verses here. Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And so what we see here is this idea that it's possible to quench the Spirit. I'll, I'll get to what that means in a second. But it's surrounded by all these commands of be thankful, rejoice always, pray continually, don't despise prophecies, meaning when people come to you with a word from the Lord, don't immediately reject it like all of Israel did through the Old Testament, but test it to, to see if it's good because other people are going to come and, and exhort and rebuke and challenge and encourage you from the word of God. Don't despise that. So all of these commands are around, do you, do you trust in what God is doing? Do you have faith and confidence in that? Or do you have more faith and confidence in yourself? Because that right there quenches the spirit. This word quench literally means to extinguish. So think about blowing a candle out. Extinguish. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul is giving the armor of God. And he says, put on the shield of faith that will extinguish the fiery arrows of the enemy. And that word extinguish is the same word, quench, quench, extinguish, the same thing. And we ask ourselves, well, what are the fiery darts? What are the fiery arrows of the enemy? What does the enemy do? Right? The enemy's main strategy, just go to Genesis chapter 3, is to get us to question God, to question his word, to question his goodness. That's exactly what the serpent did in Genesis chapter 3. He threw a fiery dart at Eve, and she got hit with it. But what's the thing that extinguishes these fiery darts? Isn't it the shield of what? Faith. Confidence in God. Trust in God. That extinguishes the darts of the enemy. But what quenches the spirit? Our own ego. Our own confidence in ourselves. Let's keep going. Isaiah 63 verse 10 says, but they, the Israel, rebelled, rebelled against God and grieved his Holy Spirit. What Isaiah is talking about in this particular chapter is he's just reflecting on the fact that as God gave his people commands, as he directed them and ways to live, that they rejected that. They rebelled against God. And it 
grieved his Holy Spirit. Stephen is reflecting on this in Acts chapter 7 when he's giving his sermon. He says in verse 51, he's talking to the Jews at the time, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Reflecting back to Isaiah 63 there. So this idea of grieving the Spirit or resisting the Spirit is when we don't trust in the places that God tells us to go or living in the ways that God tells us to live. That is resisting the Holy Spirit. Last one I want to show you, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 32. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to everyone, uh, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What else grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Isn't it bitterness? Holding things against other people, letting that ball of bitterness stay inside of our bodies, not trusting God with it, not trusting God with reconciliation, but trusting in ourselves on how to handle these things, right? That very much grieves the Holy Spirit of God. It quenches his work. It's us resisting the places that God is trying to take us. I think the Apostle Paul summed all of this up really well in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. He says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. See, because the work that the Holy Spirit is doing, because he's active in you, he is doing something, and where he is taking you is he wants to build your confidence in God. He wants to help you rest under the lordship of Christ. That he knows what is best. Even when he challenges, even when he disciplines, he's taking us somewhere that is better for us. It's for our joy. This is what the Spirit is doing. And so here's truth number three. Truth number three is this. That God does amazing things through those who keep in step with the Spirit. God does amazing things through those who keep in step with the Spirit. For those who follow the leadership of the Spirit and try not to resist his work through bitterness, try not to resist his work through walking away from the things that God is calling them to, that try not to resist his work by by staying in God's word and seeing God's word as good and right and true, God does amazing things through them, right? So first of all, one of the things that God will do through us by his spirit is he will give us gifts that are for the purpose of building up the church. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I just want you to see this. This, this is amazing. This, as we read this, it's, it's interesting. It almost seems otherworldly. 
chapter 12, verses, where am I going to go? 4 through 11. It says, now there are varieties of gifts. So think skills or abilities that God will give us. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each, so each person, right, in the church who trusts Christ is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So for building this place up. So for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Like he'll give you supernatural ability to speak wisdom to people. And to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy, right? Speaking God's word to people. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, discernment. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, look at this, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, the Spirit is doing something, and he's doing something in all of us, and he's going to give us different gifts. We all won't have the same gift, all right? And we're not called to aspire to all of the gifts. We're just called to have confidence in the Lord and trust the Spirit that he's going to use us to build the church. And to those who keep in step with the Spirit, the Spirit is overjoyed to give these gifts and let us use them. Another thing the Spirit does is he's actually going to empower us to reach the nations with the gospel by his Spirit. Well, if we think about the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ going to all of the world, how does that happen outside of a miracle? Well, it is a miracle. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This gospel is going to go out because my spirit is going to empower you to do so. And the spirit is overjoyed to do that work through us when we keep in step with the spirit. You know, over the last few years, I've uh, had the privilege of coaching my son's baseball team. And so because I've coached over the last few years, I, uh, I've had some of the same kids on all of my teams. And I've had this one kid on my team every single year this kid cracks me up so because he's the smallest kid. Right? He's always the shortest, tiniest kid on the team. He's just a little small, but he's good. And he's good at baseball. He's fast. He's good with his glove. He's got a great arm. He can hit really well. Good baseball instincts, so he's really good. But over the years, he's learned something. He's learned that, for example, if he's playing shortstop and he gets a grounder to him and he, grounds, he fields that ball and throws the first base, the first baseman's probably not going to catch it, all right, because these kids are young. They're still learning baseball. They don't catch the ball most of the time. So he's learned, if I field and throw, we're probably not going to get an out. So he's developed a habit, which is take over the game and do everything myself. 
So if he's shortstop, he's going gra- to ground that ball, and he's going to sprint to first base as fast as he can and try to tag that base. And sometimes he does it, and he's successful at it. All right, or if he's playing first base, and there's a, maybe a pop fly, he's going to run out to outfield and try to catch that pop fly because he doesn't trust his teammate to catch that pop fly. And so he's developed these habits that no matter what position I'm in, I'm going to do everything myself everything myself, and I have to always grab him and say, hey, buddy, listen, that's not how we play baseball, right? If you're a first baseman, this is your lane, right? You stay here, right? You've got to trust your teammates to catch the ball. You've got to trust your teammates to do your job. This is how we do things, and God and the Spirit, they interact with us in a, in a very similar way. God has a way that he wants things done, God has a way that he wants to empower us for ministry. God has a way that he wants us to experience the Spirit. But it's going to require us having trust and confidence in God and doing things in his way, doing things in his timing, and not having trust and confidence in ourselves and take over. Because what did we read in Ezekiel 36? God is saying, the reason I am doing this is so that they will know that I'm God. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it through you, and I'm overjoyed to do this through you, but that's how this works. That is how I am going to use you. And so what I want us to ask ourselves this morning is this. In what ways do I resist, quench, grieve the Spirit? What ways do I quench, grieve, resist the Spirit? You know, as we look at all of the texts we read this morning, and there's so many more I didn't even get to, three simple ways just popped up in my head. One, dis- disregarding God's word. We grieve the Spirit when, when we don't fill ourselves with God's word and God's ways, or, or maybe we read it and we choose not to take it seriously, and I think that grieves the spirit. Or two, when we're unteachable, when other people come to us to encourage or to exhort or to challenge, we live in a culture right now that's very resistant to any sort of criticism, And God desires that his church would be a place where we could go to one another to help each other to follow Christ. And when we're unteachable and we don't allow people to speak into our lives, I think that that quenches the spirit. It grieves him because these are people whom he's gifted and he's going to use to grow Christ-like character in you. I think third, I think bitterness. Whenever we're carrying bitterness in our heart and that anger and that clamor and we have ill will towards other people. I think it just quenches the work of the Spirit in our lives. And God commands us to deal with that before he's going to move in us and use us. So God is calling us to examine ourselves, to see where we might be resisting the work of the Spirit in our hearts. But I want to encourage you with this, that he is doing something. And he is working Christ-like character in you. He is going to grow you. I told you earlier, and I meant it. It's guaranteed. We read that in Ezekiel 36. If you trust in Christ, then he's putting his spirit in you. That will cause you to walk in his ways. But put my video back up on the screen. 
The question for us is, are we going to resist the work of his spirit? Listen, Philippians 1, 6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will get the work done. And we can ask the question, do I want to do that like this? Kind of resisting, stumbling. Now listen, all of us, we're going to fall down the escalator a little bit. All right, that's the beautiful picture of sanctification right there. That's how God gets us home, right there. He's going to get us home. And Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that one of the ways we know that God is a good father is because he will discipline us. And that if he didn't discipline us, if he didn't challenge us, if he didn't allow some hard things to come into our life to teach us to trust him, then we would be, Hebrews 12 says, illegitimate children. So I want to encourage you. God has put his spirit in you. He is working Christ-like character in you. He knows what is good for you. He knows what is best for you. And sometimes it feels like we're fighting with our parents and he's doing things that we don't like and we want to resist it. But my encouragement to us this morning is will we examine the ways that we resist the work of the spirit, quench the work of the spirit, and trust in God and keep in step with his spirit. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this good news. The good news that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot grow Christ-like character within ourselves, all by ourselves. We cannot do these things that you have commanded us to do, but God, we're so thankful for this good news that you say that you will do that work in us. That by your grace, You will cleanse us from our sins. By your grace, you will grow us in Christ-like character. By your grace, you will use us to build up the church and to reach the nations. It's such good news, God. Every other religion, every other philosophy says, I need to find a way to get better. But God, in your grace, you have come and said, no, I will be the one to make you better. And so, God, I pray that we, Lord, out of our trust in you, our trust that you are doing this work in us by your spirit, I pray, God, that we would examine the ways that we resist that work. And, God, that we would begin to stay in step with your spirit. That we would see that what your spirit is doing is good and for our joy. So God, would you show us that by your spirit today as we think about what we've read in scripture? Would you just very gently in each of us, including me, God, every one of us, God, would you you show us where we might be resisting the work that you're doing? Would you help us to trust that the work that you're doing is good and for our joy? God, we wanna be used by you. We know your spirit wants to empower us to do amazing things for your glory. God, help us to never steal your glory from you. We know that your spirit's not gonna use us. If we use that to make ourselves look good, Lord, help us always to use this ministry for your glory and so that people may know that you are God and that you are a gracious God who has sent Jesus to save us. We love you, God. We ask these things in Christ's name, amen.